You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Hey, City Tribe, happy Easter to you. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes on this Easter Sunday. Now, it's no secret that I love eagles. In fact, our church logo is an eagle, and the wings are like these open hands that represent how we're a welcoming church to all people to come and experience God. So I was excited when I was reading this story circulating on the internet that eagles live up to 70 years. Now, about 40 years, their talons and beak become too bent and inhibits their ability to catch prey. Therefore, they are faced with the choice of either starving or undergoing a rejuvenation that will enable them to live another 30 years of life. An eagle will fly at that point to a high summit, And there it smashes its beak and talons and plucks out its feathers. And after several months, it grows new feathers, talons, and a beak. And then it flies down to continue its second half of life. Isn't that inspirational? It's like how we have to go through like this pain of change to be transformed to a new person. It's inspirational. But the only problem with the little internet story is that it's actually not true. No species of eagle lives 70 years, even in captivity when humans are feeding it. In addition, the eagle's beaks and talons are made of keratin, like human fingernails. And so the beaks and talons are constantly growing and breaking off, like our fingernails. Eagles naturally lose their feathers and regrow them in a process called molting. They go through a molt roughly once a year throughout their lives. During a molt, old feathers naturally fall out and new ones grow in to take their place. Also, jerking out its feathers would cause permanent damage to the feather follicles, so no feather would grow back if they jerked out the feathers. So needless to say, I was kind of bummed when I fact-checked the little internet eagle story and found out that it wasn't really true. But it made me have this thought. You know, since so many religious people naively believe and post these types of mythical stories, it would lead me to have more in common with some of my skeptic friends who want to test everything. Now, I did learn something that is true of an eagle, and that is that an eagle tests before it trusts. An eagle tests before it trusts. So when a female eagle meets a male and he wants to mate with her, she first tests him. She drops sticks from high up and sees if he can catch those sticks. And then she makes him go through all these aerial maneuvers and this tests his strength and commitment of this potential mate. Now, a lot of you ladies should take a lesson from the eagle about dating before swiping right on Tinder, you know? Maybe you've heard about the one guy who was testing a lady after a few dates, and he asks her, do you think my salary is enough for you? And she says, yes, it's enough for me, but how are you going to (laughs) survive? So like the female eagle, we can test the Easter resurrection story. And this is certainly why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection of Christ, 
everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors and everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you verifying that God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrication if there's no resurrection. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up. So Easter is a celebration that Christ has risen. And as we like to say, he has risen indeed. Yet over the years, I've heard a lot of religious people say things like, I just feel like it's true, or my cultural upbringing is Christian, so I am too. But look, man, if I had to base my faith and eternity on someone else's feelings or upbringing, I could be led into all sorts of crazy philosophies of life. So when I hear Christians say things like, you just have to take a leap of faith, it makes me uncomfortable. So eagles test their faith to make sure it's true. Now, there are extremist religious types who try and ostracize scientists and those who like to test things, right? While there are also extremist atheist types who try to position believers as ignorant drones who believe in silly superstitions like the Easter bunny and the donkey lady on the south side of San Antonio. So the two extremes frame the conversation in such a way that the rest of us have a really hard time learning from each other and even having meaningful dialogue about these issues. So I want to say that Christians are in no way anti-science. In fact, Francis Collins, a Christ follower and scientist, wrote a book called The Language of God. And Collins is a physician, geneticist. He's the director of the National Human Genome Research Institute, and he's devoted his life to the mapping of human DNA. In 2007, he won the Presidential Medal of Freedom. He was an atheist back in graduate school where he was studying quantum mechanics. Then he went to medical school and became a doctor, and he cared for people facing the end of their lives, and he marveled at how faith in Christ seemed to give people strength through this a dying process. And one patient shared her faith with Dr. Collins, and then she asked him, Doctor, what do you believe? And that one simple question changed his life. He realized he had never really looked at the evidence for Christian faith. And after a couple of years of research and help from the writings of C.S. Lewis, Francis Collins came to believe in God and he placed his faith in Christ. So why is it that Francis Collins placed his faith in Christ? Because he tested it like an eagle. So those of you that are believers, some of you believed at a young age without really thinking through it. And I want you to understand that just because you believed as a child doesn't mean you believed in a myth. And perhaps it would be helpful for you to go back and examine your own faith. Those of you that are atheists, agnostics, or unbelievers, I don't want you to feel disrespected or vilified here at this church, unless, of course, you like sneeze on me while I'm at HEB. Uh, but if you're open-minded, I ask you to honestly inspect faith, and I respect you for tuning into this stream, and I welcome you to explore faith here at City Tribe Church. And if you never believe, I hope that we can still be friends. And those of you that are regulars at City Tribe, I want you to post a little thumbs up in the comment section if you agree to welcome unbelievers to come to our church and search for God. So since we're celebrating Easter today, like eagles, we're going to test 
the resurrection story. Testing is exactly what you'll see if you read a book by Dr. James Emery White called Christianity for People Who Aren't Christians. Dr. White tells the story of J. Warner Wallace, a decorated homicide investigator who worked on the SWAT team in Los Angeles on gang detail and investigating robbery and homicide cases. Later, he became a founding member of the department's cold case homicide unit assigned to crack murders nobody else had been able to solve. His natural street-honed skepticism served him well. And on top of all this, Wallace has been awarded the Police and Fire Medal of Valor Sustained Superiority Award and the Cops West Award for his ability to get to the truth and solve crimes. He's been featured on Court TV, NBC's Dateline, and many other media outlets who needed expertise on cold case homicides. He's a fascinating dude. And one day, Wallace, an atheist, decided to investigate the death and resurrection of Jesus since his wife had been going to church and checking out Christianity. So at the end of his six-month-long investigation, he reached the conclusion that Christianity is true beyond a measurable doubt and the resurrection actually happened. And today, Detective J. Warner Wallace is a committed Christ follower. And one of the many reasons Wallace knew the gospel accounts were trustworthy is because they were embarrassing. Did you catch that? They were embarrassing. See, the writers included details that are personally embarrassing, which validates their honesty. And this is a method employed by historians and investigators like J. Warner Wallace. They use the test of embarrassment to validate ancient documents because an author would not include information that would be personally embarrassing. This method was applied to the resurrection and it revealed that the gospel accounts have all the signs of credible testimony. And here are just three of the many details included in the Gospels that are embarrassing to the disciples. Number one, Jesus calls Peter Satan. Now, would you circulate a document like Peter did where Jesus, the best person that ever lived, calls you Satan? Number two, Peter denies Jesus. Would you circulate a document where you had denied Jesus in the account? And number three, women discovered the empty tomb. Now, that one sounds strange to people who live in our times, but in the inequality of that day, women couldn't even testify in court. So if you're faking an event, who are the last people that you would pick to be witnesses of an event? Women, right? So yet, who was brave during the circumstances of the resurrection? The women discovered the empty tomb, and the men ran like scared rabbits when Jesus was taken into custody. When the men were asked who discovered the empty tomb, the men probably mumbled, uh, the women did, right? So how many men tell stories of potential fight they were about to get in just to say we ran away like scared rabbits? The disciples were still hiding when the body disappeared from the tomb. The only ones who should have been more embarrassed than the disciples were the religious Jews who created a narrative about the missing body that continues to this day. A biography by Matthew records this myth in Matthew chapter 28. It says, a few of the guards went into the city and told the high priests everything that had happened. They called a meeting of the religious leaders and came up with a plan. 
They took a large sum of money and gave it to the soldiers, bribing them to say his disciples came in the night and stole the body while we were sleeping. They assured them, if the governor hears you're sleeping on duty, we will make sure you don't get blame. So the soldiers took the bribe. They did as they were told. That story cooked up in the Jewish high council is still going around. According to J. Warner Wallace, the old stolen body story runs into some significant problems. A Roman guard consisted of 16 highly skilled trained soldiers. Think Green Berets, not mall cops, okay? So it's like saying the disciples who were like Nacho Libre and Napoleon Dynamite snuck past the Green Berets and stole Jesus' body. Another thing is that the Roman penalty for sleeping on guard duty was execution. So staying awake on duty was one of the highest values of the Roman military. The soldiers guarding the tomb wouldn't risk execution for a measly bribe. Another idea is that the rolling away of the the gravestone would make a lot of noise, and the noise would wake up the soldiers. And in addition to this, the disciples weren't exactly CrossFit athletes that were strong enough to roll a two-ton stone away from the mouth of the cave where Jesus had been buried. But this next one is the big one, and that is the change of the disciples, the change in their lives. The disciples went from being a group of cowards to a group of radically committed Jesus followers who were willing to give their lives to spread the news that Jesus had risen again from the dead. Now, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs, James, the brother of John, was beheaded. Then Matthew was killed with a battle axe and spear. Philip was whipped, imprisoned, and crucified. Then James, son of Alphaeus, was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem, then beaten with a club. Thomas was run through with a lance. Jude was shot with arrows and crucified. And then Peter was crucified upside down in Rome because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. So look, people will die for what they believe to be true, what they think is true. But people don't die for what they know is a lie. So I want to ask you a question. Would Jesus' disciples really die for a lie? The disciples weren't the only ones who bought into this resurrection. Another reason the resurrection is plausible is because of the rise of the early church. According to author Mark Clark in his book, The Problem of God, The rise of the early church was unique and surprising because it happened so quickly. Emerging among frightened Jews who went from monotheistic worship of God on the Sabbath or Saturday to bold, courageous worship of a man, Jesus, just weeks later, changing their worship day to Sunday to commemorate his resurrection and being willing to be tortured and killed as his followers for these things. So look, the early church was a group of mostly Jewish people who had stubbornly believed in God and worshiped on Saturday, the Sabbath, for many, many years. Anyone who studies the Bible and Jewish culture knows how adamant Jews are about Saturday as the Sabbath. In a matter of weeks, these same Jewish people, thousands of them, started worshiping Jesus on Sunday. What caused these conservative Jews to change their long-held worship day to Sunday? A resurrection. 
Then many of them became so convinced that Jesus really rose from the grave, they were willing to suffer for him. Among them, the Apostle Paul, who was the equivalent of an ISIS terrorist known for killing Christians, actually became a Christ follower and became one of the most powerful voices for the early church. Now, to illustrate this, here in San Antonio, we love Fiesta, right? Now, unfortunately, Fiesta is being postponed this year because of a major historical event, the COVID-19 crisis. And the only reason that we would change the day of our fiesta rituals is a very real and significant historical event. San Antonio has had fiesta every year since 1891, except for a few years during World Wars I and II. So COVID-19 is a bad historical event But the resurrection of Jesus was a glorious historical event that continues to heal people in our world today. If you look at the names of the hospitals where coronavirus patients are being helped right now today, you'll see the names of the hospitals reflect the Christians that founded them, places like Christus Santa Rosa, Baptist and Methodist hospitals. So in addition to all the other evidence, historical, archaeological evidence for the resurrection that we could talk about longer than what you'd be willing to sit there. We can add this last one, God experiences. After Peter had a God experience and believed that Jesus is the son of God, we see what Jesus says to him in Matthew 16, 17. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So you and I today, can have experiences of God that aren't just the learning from other human beings, but are experiences, spiritually speaking, that we can have from God. And in my own personal life, in addition to trusting the evidence that I've studied, I know that Jesus is alive today because he changed my heart. I had a God experience. Years ago, as a rebellious teenager, I just wanted to party my life away until one day I had this experience with God that changed my heart. I've experienced him set me free from addictions that I couldn't quit on my own, and I knew I couldn't quit. I experienced him heal my marriage. I've experienced God heal my son of a disease he should have had for the rest of his life. Now, look, I don't experience miracles all the time, but I've seen enough to know that Jesus is real and he's alive today. And one of the great pleasures of my life is seeing how Jesus has raised up a church filled with spiritual eagles, you guys. And see, the eagles of this church don't run and hide from the COVID-19 storm. Eagles are the only birds who know how to use the winds of the storm to elevate above the storm. See, the eagle can rise above the storm, can rest by locking its wings as it rises above the storm clouds. Eagles tell this storm, I'm going to use you to make me rise. Then you can go right on by, storm. And that's what we see in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30, where the prophet says, even youths will become weak and tired, and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And the reason that we grow in strength is because our Lord and best friend, Jesus, like an eagle, rose to the occasion, rose above the storm of our sin by spreading his wings 
to die on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and for yours. Then three days later, he rose to the occasion again by literally and historically rising from the dead to give us new life. So as his church, following in his example, we have chosen to rise to the occasion of our current crisis. Last week, when other people all over the world were hoarding resources, we were giving you know that you guys gave over $20,000 to the Benevolence Fund that we're in the process of giving away to help people in our church and our city who have lost wages in this current crisis. In fact, if you're still struggling financially or if you know someone that's struggling, I want you to go to citytribe.church slash benevolence and get help there, apply for help there. We want to help you. And I want to say a big thanks to Mark Roy and Danny Kreifels who have been interviewing and going through those applications to help people all over our city. And one of the people that they told me about um, that you guys were able to help just a few days ago was a single mother. She has a four-year-old daughter, and this mother lost her job due to the crisis. And she was worried about how she was going to make some of the payments that she has, particularly her insurance payment for her and her daughter. And you guys paid for her assurance to give her peace of mind during this time. And this young woman said, you know, I've worked since I was 16 years old and never needed help before now. And that told us that she's a hardworking woman that's not used to getting handouts. But when she needed it the most, you showed up, you rose up to pay for some of her life expenses, and I thank you for it because people are the true treasures in the kingdom of God, aren't they? And that little four-year-old daughter and that working single mother received help because of your generosity. And so Jesus rose again, and he's fully alive today in and through his people, the church, the tribe, and perhaps he's maneuvered the schedule of someone to tune into this service today because he wants to give you a God experience. Look, you gotta understand, you can't earn a God experience of salvation by like giving money or doing religious works at the church, but you can only receive it as a gift from a God who wants to have a love relationship with you. He sees all you're going through right now, and he wants you to know he loves you more than you can even comprehend. Easter 2020 could be the most significant day of your life if you'd like to meet him. And it's real simple to do. We can talk to him right now. Prayer is just talking to God. And so would you bow your head with me and close your eyes? And if you'd like to begin love relationship with God right now, today on this Easter Sunday, 2020, I want you to just talk to him right now and say something like this. Look, God, I know I've sinned. But right now, the best I know how, I choose to believe that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was paying the penalty for my sin. And then three days later, Jesus rose to the occasion. He rose again from the grave to give me new life. Jesus, I welcome you into my life. Father, I thank you for those who just now prayed the most significant prayer of their lives. And I pray that you would continue to work in their lives. For those of us that have known you a long time, for those of us that have known you for a short time, we're praying that through these days of crisis that we would continue to rise above the storm as we endure and love and serve others. 
And we thank you for the many good things that you're doing in our lives to bless us and get us through. And we pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Everyone said, amen. Now, as we wrap up today, uh, I'm going to share a poem that I wrote for you for this Easter Sunday. But before I do that poem in the benediction, uh, I wanted to talk briefly about our financial stewardship. The posture through which we steward and donate our money is as beloved children of God who are secure in His provision and His love for us. And I just want to encourage you guys because you guys have been very generous through this crisis. You know that we don't beg for money here at this church, uh, but we just freely give out of love. And as we tithe and give offerings even above and beyond the tithe today, I'm praying and believing God for the following things for you. So if you're comfortable, just put your hands out in a position to receive. And I want you to receive jobs and better jobs. Everyone who's lost jobs during this crisis, I'm praying you get a better one. And if your business has suffered, we're praying that you would be positioned for an exponential increase in your business as the crisis ends. We're also praying for raises and bonuses. We're praying for benefits, sales and commissions. Those of you that are in real estate and auto sales, we're praying that you'd increase your online business and increase in creative ways to generate income. We're praying for favorable settlements and estates and inheritances, interests and income, rebates and returns, checks in the mail, gifts and surprises, finding money, debts paid off, expenses decreased, blessing and increase. And now I'd like you to make this declaration out loud along with me. Look at it on screen. Just say it along with me. Thank you, Lord, for meeting all my financial needs that I may have more than enough to give into the kingdom of God and promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as you bring your first fruit tithe at the local storehouse, I want you to know the eagle's test the tithe. That's what the prophet Malachi tells us is that you can actually test the tithe. It's the only thing in the Bible in which we can test God. So you can still donate to the Benevolence Fund today. Tithes and benevolence can be donated in one of three ways. First, you can mail it in to the address on screen, or you can donate online from our website, citytribe.com. Dot church. And if you forget the mailing address, you can also go back to citytribe.church and look there and you'll find the address uh, where you can mail in your offerings or you can donate online or you can text to tithe. You just simply text the number on screen, 74483. In the text message, you type the word tribe. If you're giving a benevolence offering, you just type in benevolence, space, the dollar amount, and press send. And when you do, you're making a huge impact in the lives of other people here in our church and around our city who are in deep need during these days. So as we wrap up our Easter experience today, I just wanted to share a benediction poem with you, and it's called, The Eagles Are A-Comin'. So the eagles are a-comin'. We test before we trust. We study it out like we must. 
We see the language of God in our DNA. We're bold and proud to say all the atheists, agnostics, and unbelievers can come our way to question and search. We aren't just selling church merch. We know the stone was rolled away, which allows us to say he has risen. He has risen indeed. We've been freed. Our bodies are seeds planted in the ground, but we too will rise. As you look on high and say the eagles are a-coming, we're a-coming, living lives of radical change. Hope is in range. No virus will stop us. We're getting on the via bus that leads us to God experience us. Some have to see before they step, but the step allows us to see just how much he loves you and me. You've heard the plea to serve those in need. The eagles are a coming. The eagles choose to rise to give way above the ties so we can love brothers and sisters in need. Some need to receive because someday this crisis will pass, allowing those to pass the love to others who are suffering. The eagles are a coming. Someday we'll be listening to the guitars, a strumming back in the cameo. It'll be a humming. But until that day, we choose to pray and say, the eagles are a coming. The eagles are a-coming. You have an amazing Easter Sunday, and we'll see you next time. Peace. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.